Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The love and the passion that you and I need to have to bring friends, families, co-workers, neighbors, to introduce them to Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have eternity in your heart. But if you truly know Christ as your Savior, and if you know anything about the Word of God, you know that those who don't have Christ, that setting before them is an eternity separated from the presence of God, and as the Word of God declares, an everlasting hell. Hell is a real place. It's a real place that people we know will go to forever if they don't accept Christ. Today, Pastor David will remind us that just like the men who loved their friend so much that they took him to Jesus, we need to do the same thing. There is nothing in the entire world that we should be more passionate about than taking people to him. Jesus saved their friend. He can do the same for our friends too. Today, you still have time. One day you won't. What are you waiting for? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Strange Happenings. tells us that they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. And I can just imagine that, that as they came up, they could kind of see through, well, he's about 20 feet inside the house. So we go up on the stairs and, well, it it ought to be somewhere right around in, in this area here. They knew where Jesus was. And then Mark goes on and says, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, you've got to stop and ask yourself at this point, whose idea was this? To rip up some other man's roof in order to let their friend down. Put yourself in Simon Peter's place. This is my house. Jesus is in my house. This is a wonderful thing. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the teachings of Jesus. And I've got a front row seat because I've been hanging with Jesus all this time. And I'm right there, right next to him or right in front of him as he's teaching. And suddenly I hear someone walking on my roof. Well, that's a normal kind of a thing. Probably the kids up there playing around on the roof while we're in here teaching. And all of a sudden I start hearing this noise. What in the world? No- what are those kids doing up there? And then suddenly dust and Debris starts falling down and you're looking up. No longer are you paying attention to Jesus. You're wondering what in the world is going on on your roof. And suddenly smaller than dust and small particles, suddenly bits and pieces of your roof start coming down and falling down in front of you. I believe at that moment, Jesus' teaching probably stopped. 
because now pieces of roof are breaking through and falling and daylight is showing through where you didn't have one of those skylight things at all. And suddenly now you can see the sky coming through and the hole keeps getting bigger and you see faces of individuals peeking probably over the side to see exactly where they're at. They continue to dig and then suddenly they start dropping down some big article. What in the world is going on? All of the people that were pressed into that house, they're not paying attention to Jesus. Jesus anymore. Number one, I believe that Jesus probably stopped teaching. I believe that there was probably a smile on his face as he understood what was going on, but no one else did. Suddenly that large object being dropped could be recognized. That's a man on a, on a blanket or a pallet or a mat that's being lowered by someone up on my roof. As I look up there, there's four faces probably looking over now as they brought their friend down and laid him literally at the feet of Jesus. These four men, they were intent on what they were doing. These four men, they, they, they had a tenacity about them. They had a persistence about them. They wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, and they weren't going to let any kind of barrier keep them from bringing him and laying him at the feet of Jesus. It was their passion to bring this man to Jesus. They believed that if they were just able to bring their friend to Jesus, that Jesus would then take care of the rest. And right there could be the center of the rest of the entire message. The love and the passion that you and I need to have to bring friends, families, co-workers, neighbors, to introduce them to Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have eternity in your heart. But if you truly know Christ as your Savior, and if you know anything about the Word of God, you know that those who don't have Christ, that setting before them is an eternity separated from the presence of God, and as the Word of God declares, an everlasting hell. And as a matter of fact, beloved, Jesus spoke more about hell in the Gospels than he spoke about heaven. How intent, how purposeful, how passionate, how much persistence do you have in introducing friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, those that you love and you care about to the presence of Jesus? It's not your place to save them. No, you don't save anybody. Praise God for that, right? It'd be a temporary thing at best. Our responsibility is to introduce them to your friend, to introduce them to Jesus. Pastor, I don't, I, I don't have much scripture memorized. I really don't know exactly how to do that. How easy and how simple it is for you to just say, Arnold, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that in my life, years ago, someone introduced me to Jesus Christ. His story is in the Bible, Arnold, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read it, but I know from my reading and from my listening to what the Bible says is that Christ died, and in his death, he was crucified. He was nailed on a cross. And the Bible says that because he was without sin, God determined that his death would be the payment for my sin. I don't understand how all that works but I trust what God's Word says. Have you ever read about Jesus? Have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? You see, in reality, you can share what's happened to you without ever quoting a single verse. 
Now, it's good if you can quote verses. I believe that it's powerful when you quote verses. Because again, the word of God will not return void. But don't use that as a roadblock of saying, well, I can't really share because I don't know any verses. Well, number one, learn verses. But number two, in the process of learning, you can still share what's happened in your life with someone that it hasn't happened in. That's if it's actually happened in your life. Did you get churched or did you get born again? You see, there's a lot of people that come to church on a regular basis that they got churched but have never truly been born again. If you know Christ as your Savior, then you've got a story to tell. You've got hope within you that that neighbor or that friend or that loved one does not have. And just in a simple, casual, easy way of bringing that one to Jesus. These guys knew that they couldn't heal their friend, but they had faith that Jesus would be able to do something. And so with everything that they had, they gathered this brother up, carried him to that house. Then in the disappointment, sorry, sold out, you'll have to wait till the next showing. They went back home and said, well, we'll do it again later. No, that's not what they did. They looked for whatever opportunity they could to persist, to continue, to press on, to introduce that one to Jesus. Climbed upon the roof, tore the roof apart, brought him to Jesus. To bring someone to Jesus or to introduce someone to Jesus, you also need to know this. It doesn't guarantee the results. You can share who Christ is with a multitude of people and they will not receive it. It doesn't guarantee the results, but you know what? It's not your responsibility. Your responsibility as a believer is to share what's going on in your life with others. Luke tells us here in verse 20, he says that when Jesus saw their faith, and I believe that's the faith of all of the men, then he said to them, said to him, the, the man on the mat, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I'm not sure what these men expected this rabbi to say to their friend as they went through all of this trouble to bring him up on the, on the roof, tear the roof apart, lower him down. I'm not sure what they expected to hear, but I believe that that probably caught them by surprise. They were probably wanting Jesus, first of all, to say, hey, you're healed, get up and walk. But Jesus said something really peculiar here. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the word that he spoke suddenly brought this whole situation into a whole other realm, the realm of the spiritual rather than just the physical. Was it this man's sin that brought this particular calamity into his life? We don't know for sure. But we do know that Adam's sin brought death into the world. And we do know that our own personal sin impacts our lives both physically and spiritually. We know that. We understand that. But we don't know this man's situation. But this we do know. Jesus sees a spiritual need in this man where the rest of the world saw only a physical need. And I don't know about you, but I've seen in my own life so many times when what I thought was a purely physical problem, a need in my life, in a physical way, that actually was totally different. It was a spiritual problem that I was dealing with 
much more than a physical problem. Either my own spiritual life needed to get back on track or my focus needed to get off of my circumstances and needed to be refocused on Christ. Most often those things in our life that bring on those feelings of anxiety or or fear or some kind of coming calamity in our life, again, seemingly primarily physical issues. It's a financial thing. It's a a relationship thing. No, it's it's a health thing. It's not a spiritual thing, but in reality, when it all comes down to it, as believers, it is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that, again, we need to get our faces and our focus off of our circumstances in order that we might be able to look to the truth of who God is and place our trust and our confidence in Him. No matter why that calamity is in your life, no matter what the calamity is, if we can get our eyes and our focus off of our situations and on to Christ, he has the power to heal them, whatever that situation might be. And he may just do that, and maybe he won't. I'm not going to come up to you this morning and say, hey, if you just have enough faith, it'll take care of it. No, that's not necessarily the case because there's things in life that God is working differently in your life than he is in mine or your life than he is in yours. And he works these things to his glory and to his honor. Our focus, our direction ought to be, Lord, in the midst of this thing, help me to see you above all other things. And whatever the cause of this man's predicament is, it was the words of Jesus that spoke that powerful chord, not only in his ears and in his heart, but also in the ears and in the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees that were sitting there that day looking for some kind of opportunity says in verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And rather they were looking for a weapon or a statement or an action of Jesus, they thought that they found it here. They thought that now we've got him. Now we've got him in a corner. And apparently, they didn't speak it loud enough that, again, the crowd would hear or even that Jesus would hear. But I would imagine that their body language probably spoke in volumes. I believe probably at that point in time, when you hear the teacher, that rabbi from Nazareth says, your sins are forgiven you, I can just imagine those Pharisees, their eyes as big as saucers, their mouths wide. <gasps> Did he say what I think that that's blasphemy? Only God can forgive sin. Whether they said it out loud or just whispering to each other, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. He knew exactly what was in their hearts. And so Luke tells us in verse 22, Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. Let's stop right there for a moment. Which is, let me ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or rise up and walk. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. But yet for the Pharisees, that was the difficult thing. Because he made a claim that the Pharisees says, only God can make that claim right. Who's speaking? God in human flesh. God standing before you, the very word of God now speaking. Now speaking to them. 
He is the one that can make that declaration. It was a spiritual act that only God could do. And then he backed up the reality that, yes, I can forgive that sin, and I'm going to show you how. Why don't you get up from that bed, rise up, take up your mat, and go on home. And the man rose up. What does it say in verse 24? He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, in order that you might know that I have that authority. And then he turns to the man, and he says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. At that point in time, there was absolutely no arguing the validity of Jesus' statement or his power, his authority to make that statement. The man rose up and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. Where could the Pharisees go from there? What could they say? There was nothing that they could do at that point in time. Not only did he say your sins are forgiven, but he also healed this man who had been paralyzed. And again, we don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, but we definitely know he was paralyzed and he got up and he walked and he went home. And Luke tells us in verse 26, and they were all amazed and all glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now I've got to stop here and I'm thinking when it says they were all amazed, Does that include the Pharisees? Does that include the scribes that they were glorifying God? They were filled with fear? In my own mind, I think not. I think that these guys were so blinded to the truth that even for them, they were probably disgusted. They were probably curses, foiled again. You know, kind of an attitude and understanding that, oh, we thought we had him, but then he heals this man. What can we do at this point in time? They were all amazed, all glorified. I believe the multitude of the people that were there, outside of these scribes and Pharisees, they were amazed, they glorified God. They were filled with fear. And look at that word fear. That's, that's not fear of God, that's a godly fear. You know the difference, I hope you know the difference. A difference between fearing God and having a godly fear. We don't come to God shielding ourselves, trying to live our lives hopefully in a way that we're not going to get whacked from him because we took the wrong step here or the wrong step there. That is, that is having fear of God. But having a godly fear means that we can walk our lives in a way that we just want to honor him. We want to glorify him in our lives. We want him to be pleased in our lives, not because we're fearful that he's going to whack us, but because of our great love for him. There's a world of difference between fearing God and having godly fear. It says that they were all amazed. That comes from a Greek word, ecstasis. Ecstasis, it, it means, again, that idea of bewilderment, uh, the displacement of the mind, even going into a trance. They were like, oh, wow. It's, it's where we get the root word for our word ecstatic. We're just absolutely blown away by what happened. Son of man has power on earth to forgive sin. Take up your bed, go to your house. The man actually immediately rose up. He departs to his own house. Who among us wouldn't be ecstatic if we saw something like that happening before our very eyes? It was an amazing thing to behold. And they said to themselves, we have seen strange things today. Ah, that's probably an understatement, isn't it? We have seen strange things today. I'm going to go out on a limb and probably maybe um, 
upset some of you or uh, maybe frustrate some of you a little bit this morning. I don't apologize for it. I'm just giving you fair warning. There's so many fake healings and, and fake works of God in the world today. And all you have to do is watch some of what's called Christian television today. And I believe that it sickens God by, again, the, the shenanigans and the, the theatrics that go on there. And I believe that it also lessens the reality and the truth of that power of God that really does work and move. Is God able and willing to heal absolutely to the uttermost, both physically as well as spiritually? But does everything we see on Christian TV verify that God does that? No. No, I believe that a whole lot of that, in fact, I would say probably most most of that is shenanigans and sideshow. I believe it's a deceitful work of the enemy because the world looks at that stuff and says, you guys are absolutely nuts to follow that. I don't mind being a fool for Jesus. I don't mind that at all. I'll be a fool for Jesus anytime at any place. But I don't want to be a sucker either for shenanigans and for theatrics. I believe that God is more than able to heal. I believe that we can go to him in faith, believing that he will do that. And sometimes he does heal. And sometimes he chooses not. And we touched on that a couple of weeks ago. When we look, look at Paul, Paul in his life, he says, man, I asked the Lord three times to remove this thorn in my flesh. And the Lord told me at the end, hey, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to heal you of that. My grace is sufficient for you during that time. I was sharing with someone else this last week that does everyone get healed supernaturally? No. Uh, is it because of lack of faith? Absolutely not. It's because it's the choice and it's the work of God. Paul writes to Timothy and tells Timothy, Timothy, uh, I know you have stomach problems. You need to drink a little bit of wine, Timothy, to help out in that stomach problems. Now, that's not an advertisement or a publicity to, to go out and buy a pint or a quart or whatever this afternoon. What he's saying is... Take this to help your stomach. So who doesn't have enough faith? Paul or Timothy? Paul, if you had enough faith, you could just speak and Timothy would be healed. Timothy, if you had enough faith, God would just heal you of that stuff. No, Paul tells Timothy a very practical thing for that time and place. And we see this throughout the scripture. But beloved, when God moves in a life, it is amazing to see, whether it be a physical healing or a spiritual rebirth, God is about the business of you and I being changed, being brought into his kingdom, being strengthened in his kingdom in order that we, when we either come together as the corporate body of Christ or as we on an individual basis in our own quiet and private times might come before him seeking his Face, seeking his blessing, seeking his move in our life, that we ourselves would come away from that amazed, that we ourselves could come away from that glorifying God, that we ourselves might grow in that godly fear in our lives, that we in our lives might see and expect events to happen within our lives that are beyond our own belief, beyond our own expectation. And my question to you this morning, when was the last time that you felt or experienced Christ in that way? Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I'm going to tell you this morning that right now here in this place, 
the power of the Lord is present to work and move in your life where your greatest need is this morning. And he desires to do that. He desires to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. But are you a vessel that's able to receive it? Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.